This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Taria Pitt, welcome to Better Reading. Hello, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. It's good to see you. Yeah, no, it really is. It is good to see you, um, despite the fact that it's via Zoom. But I was remembering this morning, well, two things I did this morning. I was remembering you. So I met you with your first book. Then we met again with your second book. And now this is with your third. Crazy. Yeah, third and uh, married and two, two children later. But anyway, there we go. We've got a lot to talk about. Now, I did another thing in the park. I lost my keys in the park this morning when I was walking the dog. And so, therefore, I had to talk to every single person in the park and I still haven't found them. However, I decided <laughs> while I was talking to people to do a straw poll. And I asked, I said to people, I'm speaking to Taria Pitt this morning um, and because they all know what I do. And do you know, there wasn't one person where their face didn't light up and say, oh, I love her. Oh, I love her. Oh, my daughter loves her. Oh, my son loves her. Or I love her. Seriously. And I probably spoke to about at least 10 to 15 people this morning. That's good. I'm happy. Yeah. (laughs) That's enough to make you happy, right? Okay. Now let me introduce you because there might be a few people in this country that have never heard of you. So Taria Pitt is living proof that with the right mindset, everything is possible. Caught in a grass fire while competing in a 100-kilometer ultramarathon in 2011, Taria suffered full thickness burns to 65% of her body. But surviving is the least of her achievements. One of Australia's most admired and widely recognized people, Taria has gone on to become a best-selling author, a two-time Ironman, now I miss that one for sure, and a humanitarian, raising well over a million dollars for not-for-profit Interplast. Through her online presence, books and online programs, Taria has inspired millions to live with more confidence, conquer their fears and chase down their wildest dreams. We're here to talk about her latest book, Happy and Other Ridiculous Aspirations, and I've got to say I love the title. Taria interviews high-profile athletes, comedians, scientists, and world experts to explore how everything from money to our relationship has an impact on how happy we can be. It is a really interesting topic, and it is a topic that I've been interested in just from a layperson's perspective, like yourself, I guess, over the years. And I haven't probably had as many dramas or traumas as most people, and I've been lucky with that. However, there was a point in my life where I was at an all-time low, and I don't know if we talked about this before. I'd left, I'd bought a house and left my job, right? So I had a massive mortgage. I didn't really know what I'd do because by leaving my job, I felt that I'd left my career. And I was in the car and I was listening to ABC radio and I never got his name, but they were interviewing an Aboriginal elder. And he was talking about the difference between happiness between Indigenous people and, mm-hmm. and us. And he said the problem 
that he sees with us is that we're always chasing happiness and happiness is always in the future. Mm. And he said that the way that he looks at happiness was in the moment in every day. And do you know, Taria, that was life-changing for me, life-changing. Just that one tiny sentence has changed my life. So for me now, happiness is right this very minute, looking at your face, speaking to you and with your pink pyjama top on. (laughs) That's happiness, right? Yeah, well, I think, I guess that was the conclusion that I kind of came to that that's part of the reason why I called it a ridiculous aspiration because it's something that we might be striving for, but it's not really a, a destination or an outcome. It's more of an outlook, like you so wisely put it, Cheryl. Um, and just having that in your mind, you know, it's a day by day finding happiness and joy in our everyday ordinary moments. I think that's really where we find happiness or we, or we, or we can get some, some element of happiness. So tell me, how did, I mean, I know that um, that you've been, obviously it's a subject that's probably something that you've struggled with for a very long time um, and you've been healing for, for, well, when was the accident? 2011, so nine years ago now. I mean, you've done so much, but it hasn't been easy. I mean, you've suffered physical pain and you've probably suffered emotional pain, but then there's the ups and downs and the, the tremendous joy that you have mm. and that you give other people. Tell me about the journey to writing this book. Tell me when it came to you that you thought you could talk about happiness. Look, I think it was that around five years after the fire, I felt just as happy as I'd ever been before. And I thought that was really interesting given everything that I've been through. So I kind of dug into that a little bit more and I, I read a lot of research about it and I found that, you know, we can have these big life-changing events such as getting burnt during an ultramarathon or facing a global pandemic or whatever it is, and we can still manage to be just as happier, if not more happy, um, if we do certain things. Like, for example, practising gratitude has been shown to be a really easy way for us to be a little bit happier in our everyday lives. So can you elaborate on that, on practising gratitude? Yeah, so all it is is every morning, this is just what I do, I think of three things that I am genuinely grateful for, so whether it's my son's playing on the carpet, um, my mum who who came over today to look after my baby while I'm speaking with you, my cup of coffee, and I think just by being grateful for things, you're training your brain to focus on the positives and that helps you to cultivate a positive mindset. So it's one of the, the starting points, I guess, into becoming happier and more positive. And that's a really easy thing that we can all do right now to, to, to enable that. I live next door to a park, as I said, and I see kookaburras in the trees, even though it's in urban Sydney. And I make myself a coffee and my toast and I look out, the park's right there, and I wait for that kookaburra to come every morning because sometimes he comes really close and sits on the ledge. And I feel that that's a magnificent way to start the day. Yeah, but that, that's so awesome, Cheryl, that you're, you're taking that time to be mindful of that magical moment and really savouring it and appreciating it. You know, and I, I, I think that's a really important aspect to happiness as well mm-hmm. is being mindful and noticing these little pockets of joy that we have in our day, whether it's a kookaburra sitting on the ledge next to you or the sun on your face or giving your partner a kiss goodbye before you go to work. It's, it's, it's those little tiny moments as opposed to those 
gigantic cataclysmic moments like getting a job promotion or getting married or going to the south of France with Beyonce. So it's it's more about those small everyday things that we can do, which is which is great, right, especially given this global pandemic that we're all facing right now. I think all of us have had to really take a step back and take take stock of our lives. I want to get on to the pandemic because that's just been really life-changing for so many people, including myself. But I want to go back to you and in your recovery. Do you think you were practicing that early on? How did you get to the place that you are now? Because I find that you're a person, and just from the, the brief conversations I've had with you and the articles I've read and, you know, the Instagram, that you're a person that's very, very comfortable in their own skin. Mm. Right? And do you think that that's something that's been always in you or that you've had to kind of work on that as life has gone on for you? Yeah, a bit of both. And like there's a whole chapter in the book about about self-love and it's, you know, it's not like I went from wearing a head-to-toe compression suit and a full-face compression mask to the next day being at a bikini down the beach. It's been mm. a lot of work, a lot of tiny little baby steps like, you know, w- w- with my compression mask that I had to wear for my for my injuries, I had to start by not wearing it around the house, not wearing it in front of my friends and family, not wearing it if I went out for a walk around the block, not wearing it if I went to a Woolworths. So was, was that because you were worried about how you looked? Yeah, of course, because it had become like my security blanket. Yeah. So I wore it for two years and at first I hated wearing it because it was really uncomfortable. Um, I'm quite a dynamic person and I think a lot of us, we convey a lot of what we're saying with our facial expression. But with the mask, I didn't have that ability to communicate with people. So if I cracked a joke, people wouldn't know how to react and then I'd feel really awkward and really weird in that situation. So it became like my security blanket. I got so used to it, I got habituated to it. So then when I had to when time came to take it off, I was really scared and apprehensive because I wasn't sure what what people would say, what people would think, how people would react. And so, like I said, it's not like I, I wore it one day, then the next day I took it off in front of an audience of thousands of people. It was those tiny little incremental baby steps that I did every single day. Mm. And I mean, that's, that's how I've done everything really. It's just by waking up every morning and asking myself, what's, you know, what's one small step I could take today that's going to improve me or what's one thing I could be grateful for today mm. or how can I make this day a good day? Mm. And it, it's every single day, right? It doesn't stop. No, you've got to do it every single mm. day. But I, I also think like part of being happy is acknowledging that we're not going to be happy at all points in our day. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah, I of think, course. You know, yeah. Just, as, just as we have days where we feel excited and motivated and energetic and enthusiastic, we also have days where you feel shitty, resentful, tired, lethargic. And I think both of those types of feelings are both perfectly valid. And I think if I'm having a shit day or a hard day, I don't try and bullshit my way out of it. I don't try and put a positive spin on it. I just say to myself, yeah, today's shit. Tomorrow will hopefully be better. Mm. And I think as soon as you accept it and acknowledge those sort of feelings, they dissipate a lot quicker than if we're being disingenuous with ourselves. Mm, I agree with you. Um, okay, let's let's move on to the pandemic a bit because I feel, and you, you, you started this book before the pandemic, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. So who would have known that this was coming up and who would have known what 2020 was going to look like? Do you know a friend of mine died in February of this year? 
Mm. And she was a mum and a grandma. And it was really, really the saddest funeral. And I remember thinking, this is going to be, this 2020 is starting off as a really shit year. And then three weeks later, COVID hit. Who would have known? But anyway, and you wouldn't have known when you were writing this book. But I think what has happened with COVID is the global impact that that's made on individuals is being really, really significant all at one time. And, you know, it has been likened to war. But that's the only other time. Like, I have a lot of friends. I've got friends that live in America. I've got friends that live in the UK. I've got friends that live all over the world. And we're all going through the same thing, which is very unusual, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, when you say 2020 has been a big year, it has really been a year of epic proportions. Like, where I live on the South Coast, we had really bad bushfires this summer. We had fires encircling my hometown then when that was over well before that happened I launched a marketing campaign called spend with them I don't know if you ever heard of it Cheryl but it was a way that customers could could support local businesses from fire affected communities and then I had my baby and then Ali my publisher was like okay you actually have to finish this book now like you know don't really care that you've just had a baby it was two months ago and then this coronavirus pandemic happened. But I really think all of these tough events that the whole world's facing right now, to me it's really only crystallised what it means to be happy because, like I said, happiness isn't found in those giant cataclysmic events. It's more about those small things like doing a kind deed for someone else, being a good human, checking in on neighbours and friends, savouring the time with your family, uh, relishing your work. So I think for me it really has crystallised uh, what, it, what it means to be happy. And I think if we can find those little pockets of, of joy and happiness even in this really dark period that the world is going through, I think that's going to make it a lot easier for us to be happier when we come out of it. And prop people up by checking with people via text and even, you know, a smiley face I think sometimes is really valued and it is for me. I live alone and the first couple of weeks of the first lockdown mm. back in March, April, I really struggled. I Because there's living alone and there's living alone, isn't there? Like before I never even noticed I was living alone until COVID hit and then I'm like, whoa. And you know what another thing I noticed? I was talking to Ottolenghi last night, Yoram Ottolenghi. I noticed that all my food, like all my meals were around people, right? And then yeah. all of a sudden I couldn't have people around and so I stopped my interest in cooking and food just disappeared for weeks. It wasn't making me happy because eating by myself was just something I wasn't used to. Now I managed to turn things around but it made me think of how many lifestyle changes people have had to make. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah, well, totally. I know, you know, I'm sharing that your world's been pretty disrupted, Cheryl, and I guess so has mine to a lesser extent because I don't live, I don't live in one of the, you know, in a big capital city. But I, I think as well, I think it's made us all realise how resilient we are. Mm. And I, I really think that resilience isn't something that we can learn by reading someone's book or by sitting down in a classroom taking notes. It's only by going through the hard times. And I think this coronavirus pandemic, much like you, Cheryl, uh, the first couple of weeks are a real shock. You know, we mm. don't really know what to do with ourselves. But then it just becomes the new normal. Mm. And we, we adapt and we get used to it. We start doing things over Zoom and we start catching up with mates on FaceTime and all of a sudden our grandparents know how to use Skype, all of those different things. So I think for me it's really, it's really reinforced that 
we are inherently so adaptable to whatever mm. life I, I think you're dead right. And I think it's finding the beauty in it, in, in the new technology. I have a, a niece, her name is Sarah, and she's got a little girl called Liv. And she started calling me in the evenings to do story time, FaceTime. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those little moments, you're right. Like, you know, it, it's really been different. I mean, it, it, we can see each other now, but back then, you know, I used to just wait for seven o'clock. I couldn't wait to see her and to hear her and to read the book, you know. Hopefully everybody's been able to make a tiny little connection. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Now, tell me about the book. You've interviewed some high-profile people, and <laughs> everybody loves you. I love uh, Celeste Barber's comment. Um, I'm going to read it out loud. Thank God for Churia. She's an absolute rock star. And I agree with every word. I'm stoked to be in a world at the same time as her. Wow. That's a really nice quote. I had to pay her a lot of money for that one. Yeah, I'm sure you did. I just love her. Do you know sometimes just looking at her, just looking at her on Instagram makes me smile. Like she's not even doing anything. She's just got that, her resting face just makes me laugh. Yeah, but I think it's because she's someone who's living, she's not overly concerned by other people's expectations of her and she's living the life that she wants to live on her terms and she's really like, I hate this word authentic because it gets used so much, but I think she's really authentic and really true to herself. She's so why, the real deal. You're right. Yeah, that's, why, that's why people love her. That's why she's yeah. got so, you know. That's why yeah. we all love her. I follow weird. her, as I said, on Instagram, and I saw in stories a couple of weeks ago that she was suffering a bit of anxiety, and she was so truthful yeah. about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> the funniest one. I don't know if you saw it, where she, her husband was, um, what does she call him? Um, hot, hot husband. Hot husband. Yeah, her husband was dragging her off to the tennis, <laughs> to play tennis, and she said, yeah. apparently this is going to make me feel good. It was the funniest photo, the funniest post. I just love her. But they're the little things that you do, right? Yeah, and like you know, right with with people like Celeste being so open about things like anxiety and Osha yeah. being really yes. open about his struggles. I think the more high profile people are open and public about that type of stuff, it makes it 
more acceptable in in the public arena. And I really think, you know, if your car's broken, you take it to a mechanic. If you want to get your eyebrows waxed, you go to a beautician. And I think if you have stuff that you want to deal with in your heart and your head, you see a professional, you see a psychologist or a counsellor or, or, you know, whoever is equipped to, to deal with those sort of things. Yeah, no, I think you're dead right. So tell yeah. me, um, talk, let's talk about some of the people you spoke with in the book. I think Eddie Jacku was probably the favourite person right. of mine. And I think it was just because he was so authentic and what he said to me was really simple but really beautiful and it really just reinforced the premise of the whole book, you know, that happiness, again, it's not about those big things that we go after but more about finding happiness in our everyday everyday life, being grateful for what we have in our lives. Every day is, a, is, an, op- is an opportunity for us and how our relationships with each other, that's what really matters when it comes down to the wire. Yeah, it's so true. Hey, tell me how having kids impacted your life. Uh, look, at they're pretty, they're pretty full on. They're pretty make. It's definitely made me more efficient as a working mum because I don't like flap around. Not, not, flaff, not flaff around, but like if I've got half an hour, I just, I'll just go hammer and tong for that half an hour. Like that's how I wrote this whole book around Huckabye, my eldest son, and then around my second son as well. So it's been life-changing for sure. I would not, I'm very grateful that I get to be a mum and I get to be around and watch them grow up. And I've, I've got this opportunity to create a really beautiful family with my partner. I think that's such a special thing and it's something that I'm grateful for every day. It's beautiful. Mm. It's hard work but it's so rewarding at the same time, isn't it? Oh, yeah, and, like, the thing is when I was researching the book, like, childcare is one of the activities that people dislike the most. Like, I think it came in just after housework. Yeah, wow. It's <laughs> so funny, right? Yeah, I know, because, like, a lot of people have kids. And I I interpreted that as in, like, you know, childcare and the fact of cooking the dinner that your kid's not going to eat then cleaning them then getting them in the bed then cleaning the dishes and cleaning the kitchen, that kind of stuff, look, it doesn't really make, it doesn't really make me overflow with joy. But I think it's when you push that aside and you try and find magic in those small moments, like, you know, watching my sons play on the carpet or reading them a book or having a cuddle with them on the couch, it's those little small moments that, that bring me a lot of joy. Mm. I, I think, um, you know, I don't have children, but I have children around me. Mm. And without a doubt, almost always, because, you know, I've got the luxury of dipping in and dipping out. So, you know, it's not 24 hours continuous for me. But really, you know, they make you smile a lot of the times, so even when I'm in the park and, you know, a child walks by and they're always there. Oh. The outlook is beautiful, isn't it? You know what kids are really good at doing, Cheryl? They're really good at being in the present moment. And that's, that's one of the key. Just like that Indigenous elder that you have held on the radio it's when we're present in the moment when we're not preoccupied with our massive to-do list when we're not preoccupied with our past hurts or what's happened to us in our past and we are in the present and we try and enjoy it that's what's going to make us a lot happier yeah no I agree with you totally I just want to just go back to the um, Iron Man I missed that part of your career tell me about that (laughs) I don't know Uh, where I was when that happened (laughs) 
I, I, I don't know how to sum it up. So I don't know if you know what an Ironman is, but no, I don't. That's like doing four laps of Bondi Beach, 180 kilometer bike ride. That's like riding from Sydney to Wollongong and then back. And then a 42 kilometer run, a marathon. That's like doing city to surf three times. So that's oh. an Ironman. So I decided to do one when I was still in hospital. And this was after I got told that I might not ever run again. And my family were really supportive. They said, okay, let's, you know, let's get you up. Let's go get you training for this Ironman. And I'd walk three laps of the hallway and they'd be like, yes, great yeah. job, great job. Um, You'll get they, probably, they, they probably thought I was delusional as well, but they obviously wanted me to get better so I could get out of hospital. And then I started, then I started training for it for real, I think in 2014. And really how I, how I did that, it's just like how I've done everything else. I just did the small steps every day. So I'd wake up, I'd look at my training plan, right, today I've got to do a half-hour run of sprint sets, you know, 200 metres out and 200 metres back in at a lighter pace. And I'd just do that. I'd do my scheduled training session. Then I would forget about it. And then the next day I'd do my next training session. And whenever I felt overwhelmed or like I wasn't actually going to be fit enough to do this crazy race that, I was, that I'd signed up for, I would just look at my past training sessions and I'd say, well, no, you are fitter because a couple of months ago you could only run, you know, 500 metres and now you're running three kilometres. So you, you are getting better. I could see that visual proof in there. So I did one Ironman in Australia. Um, I did it in 13 and a half hours. So I did beat Tony Abbott. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And then, and then I got invited to do Ironman World Championships and that's in Hawaii, in Kona. It's a really hard race because it's really hot over there. And one of the things with burnt skin is that it doesn't regulate your body temperature. So you, Cheryl, when you get hot, you probably sweat. That cools you down. And if you get cold, you'll get little goosebumps, which traps air close to your skin and that heats you up. And burnt skin does neither of those things. So I was really apprehensive going into this Ironman World Championships because of the heat mm-hmm. and the humidity. I was really anxious about how I was going to go. And so what I did is I wore a heart rate monitor. It all sounds really boring and technical when I describe it, but I, I wore a heart rate monitor and then I could see if my heart rate was too high that I was going too hard, I was working too hard, and then I would need to back off the pace so that, that I could conserve my energy and make sure that I was able to complete the day. And how many hours did you do it in? The, the Hawaii one, the Australian one, it took me 13 and a half, and the Hawaii one took me an hour longer, I think just because of the heat and just the, the conditions over there are a lot tougher. And I thought I thought once I did Ironman, for me, I... I really liked my Ironman journey because it, it gave me a focus outside of myself. So instead of spending my energy wallowing on what had happened to me, I was able to put my energy into something really positive for myself, into creating a really great future for myself. And I really thought that once I did Ironman, I'd be able to close the chapter on, on what had happened to me. But then when I finished, I realised like, no matter what I do, it's always going to be a part of me. Just like with whatever happens in your life, Cheryl, is going to be part of your life. And so I think I've learned that I just need to, I've had to just accept it and acknowledge it as being part of my, being part of my history. Do you feel like being a parent is like you're doing Iron Man every second day? (laughs) No, no, no. No. Iron Man was way way harder. (laughs) 
the, the thing about being a parent, if I was going to describe it, I'd say it would be contextual because some days you have so much fun with your kids and you're like, yes, I was born to be a mum. It is awesome. And other days I'll look at my watch and I'll be like, oh, my God, it's only 8.30. Like yeah. how like, this day is, is going to be a long day. So I think, you know, it just changes from day to day. That's, that's life as well. Some days we feel great, some days we don't. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, so what's on the cards? What are you doing next? I don't ask most people that, but I, I figure that you are always working on something. <laughs> Cheryl, I had really big plans for this year. I was going to release this book. I was going to do a national book tour. I was going to do a marathon this year. I had all of these things that I was going to do. The coronavirus hit us and here I am talking to you over Skype from my home in Wallingwalk. So, look, I'm not making any plans. I'm not making any really big plans because I'm not quite sure what the future holds for me. I'm staying focused on on writing. I love writing. It's probably the most the, the, the part of my job that I like the most. Spending time with my family and with my babies and trying to trying to keep myself fit and, you know, keep myself sane, getting outside mm-hmm. and doing exercise as well. That's mm-hmm. how I'm keeping myself busy. Yeah, just like the rest of us, I guess. Hey, you always keep it real, my friend. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. Congratulations on your book, and I'm sure it's going to sell its socks off. Yeah, thanks so much, Cheryl. I appreciate it. Good to see you. You too. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.